You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Okay, thank you guys for leading us in in singing today. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 10 in our journey through the Gospel of John, looking at the life of Jesus, and um, and we'll be in uh, verses 1 through 18 of John 10. So if you would turn in your Bibles there, we'll read it and then begin with today's message. John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said, again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." So back on February 10th of 2019, a little over a year ago, the Houston Chronicle released a bombshell six-part report on sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention, our own denomination. This investigation found that over the last 20 years, about 380 Southern Baptist church leaders and volunteers had faced credible accusations of sexual misconduct. Of those, roughly 220 were convicted of crimes and received plea, deal, plea deals in cases involve, involving more than 700 v- in victims in all, the report found. Abuse of authority is a sadly normal thing in our world, and we see it all over the place where people consume those they lead and use the people that they lead for their own, um, for their own pleasure. Ever since humanity fell in Genesis chapter 3, we have seen the abuse of authority. In fact, that was part of the curse originally was that there would be broken relationships between men and women, between human beings, that they would take advantage of each other. We've seen this in human history where authority and leadership are used wrongly. We see 
Uh, history is full of dictators. And even today we have dictators like Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. We see this from celebrities who use their influence, such as Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein. Presidents and politicians, uh, innumerable, even, even dating back to before our country began, wrongly using their position and their authority, not to serve people, but to exploit them. Leaders that use their position to exploit for personal gratification is, is egregious and sadly commonplace in our world. But it's particularly horrific and inexcusable when it's done under the guise of spiritual leadership. What does Jesus say about this? What kind of leader is Jesus? How does Jesus treat those he leads? What we're going to see in John chapter 10 that we've read already is that the kind of authority and the kind of leadership and care that Jesus provides is nothing like the world's way. And he confronts the Pharisees. He calls them thieves and robbers again and again because in context of chapter 9, we see the healing of a blind man. A blind man that the leaders of Israel should have cared deeply about because he was made in God's image and he was part of their family and he was part of the covenant community. And yet they proved to not love him at all because when Jesus heals him, they begin then to interrogate him. And ultimately, because he does not answer their questions rightly, they use their authority to banish him from the synagogue because he doesn't fit, he doesn't serve their agenda well they banish him. And it's, a, it's an example of terrible spiritual abuse where these people who are meant to care for God's people, lead God's people, point out when the Messiah came, use their authority to cast out and to wound and to disregard this blind man whom Jesus loves. So in chapter 10, we will see how Jesus defines his use of authority. What kind of king is he? What kind of leader is he? What kind of God is he? What is he like? And Jesus uses the analogy of a shepherd. And this, he, he is a shepherd in a way that is in, con- in, in distinction and in contrast to the world's way of exercising leadership. In order to understand the larger framework of what Jesus is saying about being the good shepherd, and about his people being the sheep, we have to understand that shepherd imagery is everywhere in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, um, God calls the people of Israel his flock, and he refers to himself as their shepherd. We read that in Ezekiel 34, which is an important passage uh, for our discussion today because Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. There's shepherd imagery all over the Old Testament. When God calls someone to lead his people, he calls He calls Abraham, who's a shepherd. He calls Moses, who's a shepherd. He calls David, who is a shepherd. And God speaks of being their shepherd, the one who will care for them. And the shepherd lives with the sheep, cares for the sheep, will lead and feed and guide and protect the sheep. He knows the sheep by name. What we see is that God's people have been not well shepherded down through history. Ezekiel 34 points this out. And um, I will read a couple portions of that. Justin read that just a few moments ago. But there's a few things in here that I want to point out just in light of, um, of what we will see Jesus saying. And I think this is in the back of Jesus' mind. What has happened in John chapter 9 is evidence that, these, uh, that the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of God's people, have been abusive and that Jesus himself is coming to shepherd his people. He says in Ezekiel 34, 7, 
He says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there, are, there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the sheep feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. That's a strong indictment because what had happened is that the leaders of God's people who were to care on his behalf for these, for the good of these people had not only failed to prevent predators from coming in among the people, but actually had become predators themselves. They had begun to prey on God's people and God is filled with just wrath against the poor use of authority, the poor use of, of leadership. And he is going to bring judgment on them. And that's exactly what Jesus, Jesus is essentially saying that is happening again today. And we have just seen it happen with this blind man. And so he calls them robbers and thieves that they've come to kill, steal, and destroy. But he is a different kind of shepherd. In, in, in Ezekiel 34, verse 11, then God makes a remarkable pro promise. He says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered so that I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. So we sometimes wonder why does God allow these things to happen? And here we see a promise that God will render justice. We don't know necessarily all of why God allows some, some of these things to happen, but we do know that he will execute justice and that Jesus himself goes after the broken and the scattered and the, the victimized. And here he says that he himself will come down from heaven, will come down and seek out the sheep. He says, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains by the Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. It's important for us to understand God's perspective on his people, God's perspective on how he seeks the well-being and care of those that he is he is leading. He holds accountable these wicked shepherds and he himself will come and shepherd them personally. He does not remain far off, but he draws very near. I grew up on a ranch and we had uh, several hundred sheep. And so um, there's some, some images, some experiences, some, uh, some things that I recognize in this passage. I have many memories as a child of us taking newborn lambs um, out from the cold, born into the snow and bringing them into our house and literally like wrapping our arms around them to use our body heat to keep them from, from freezing. I have memories of coyotes at times um, taking and mangling sheep and there was maggots and infection and tenderly and carefully taking this fearful, injured, bleeding sheep and, and, and tending to its wounds. We had sheep that um, developed a, a foot infection called foot rot and we had to take each one and gingerly, gingerly trim 
their hooves in such a way as to not cause them to bleed, but to remove the infection. And these scared, victimized sheep, you really became part of your family. We named many of them. And so I have uh, a great affection for what is being described here. And it's amazing to think that that is how God cares about us. He knows our names. He knows our vulnerabilities. And if you think about sheep, sheep have no natural defenses. There is nothing about them that really keeps them um, with an ability to protect themselves. They're not very fast. They're not very bright. Um, they, they have nothing. They, their best hope is that while something's eating them, they choke on the wool. That's kind of their best strategy. So they're very vulnerable and they're very uh, easy to pick off. And God describes his people that way. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 9, 36, that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What is Jesus' heart towards you, towards his people? It's not primarily disappointment, but compassion. Compassion for what sin has done to people made in his image. And he longs to draw them close because harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he desires to come and provide that which the sheep need. So Jesus himself is here saying that he is the ultimate, eternal, perfect, and present fulfillment of God's personal shepherding in Ezekiel 34. He is the one who's come to be the perfect shepherd. Which then brings us to John chapter 10. That's all set up for John chapter 10, but it's important for us to understand what Jesus is saying and what he is fulfilling in this moment. So the title of our message is Jesus is our good shepherd. And I want to show you three things from the text here. Three aspects, three actions of the shepherd. First of all, in verses one through six, we see that the good shepherd gathers his sheep. And then in verses seven through 10, we will see that the good shepherd guards his sheep. And then in verses 11 through 18, we'll see that the good shepherd gives himself for his sheep. So I just want to lay out where we're going so that it's easy for you to follow. And my hope is that as we outline this and walk through this, not only you're helped in this message, but I'm also ho hopeful that by, by, by laying out the passage this way and preaching this way, you're helped in your own reading of the Bible. That's my hope. It's not just that you'd be stirred by this message, but that you would be helped that every time you open God's word, you're able to read it more faithfully, more clearly, because you've heard this message or many other messages. We want to teach you how to hear the voice of your shepherd yourself from the word. And I want this sermon to be helpful. So that's why I want to give you the outline here so you can kind of see where we're going. So in verses one through six, the good shepherd gathers his sheep. Verses one through three, we see that he enters appropriately. He enters appropriately. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse one, he does not enter the sheepfold. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. So Jesus enters appropriately. I think what is meant here is that Jesus comes in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He comes in the way that is promised. There have been many messiahs that have sought to come. There have been people who have sought to lead God's people. And God has, in the Old Testament, given a prophecy and a picture of what the true shepherd is going to be like. And so he is saying, I think he's saying here, that the one who enters by the door appropriately, who, the one who fulfills biblical prophecy, the one who, who, who brings these things to pass, is the one who should be trusted. And he'll come in by the door. Now, many people will want to try to lead God's people, influence God's people, but if they don't come in the right way, according to the prophecies of Scripture, according to the profile outlined in the Bible, the sheep will not listen. 
and to him the gatekeeper opens. I think God is the gatekeeper here, giving approval to his son to lead the flock. He is the gatekeeper. Uh, And chapter 9 is an example of that. Jesus has come and has healed the man born blind, which was a unique um, characteristic of the Messiah from the Old Testament. Blind people, um, people born blind were never healed prior to this event, and Jesus is healing the blind. So I think he's alluding to that to go on, hey, I come and I fit the profile of the Old Testament, um, Old Testament uh, promised Messiah. And so therefore he's entering through the door and God has given his endorsement by healing the man. Jesus is qualified to be the, 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 the true shepherd of God's people because he enters appropriately. The Jewish leaders are thieves and robbers and they have come in by another way. They have tried to lead people other than the way that God has intended. Look at verse, the last part of verse uh, three through six. We see that Jesus calls effectively. So not only does he enter appropriately, but he calls effectively. He says the sheep hear his voice and he calls to his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So how will we be able to tell who Jesus' flock is? Well, when he speaks to them, they will follow. They will recognize his voice and they will follow him. Now, this is a fascinating thing to observe if you were in the Middle East, even today, around shepherds is that at night, often they will bring their, and sometimes even to graze, they will bring, shepherds will bring their flocks together. And they'll graze and they'll mix together, and at night they'll, they'll, they'll uh, huddle up together. But then in the morning, when it's time for the shepherds and their flocks to go a different way, they have their own unique call, sometimes a whistle or some sort of phrase or something like that. And what will happen is that the shepherds will give their call to the sheep, and their sheep will follow them. They don't have to go in and try to pick out all the different sheep. They just issue the call and the sheep will follow the shepherd um, based on the call. It's really an amazing thing to observe that all of this intermixing of the crowd will come out because of a call. Jesus doesn't go in and try to wrestle the sheep out. Jesus doesn't berate the sheep. He calls them and they respond to his call. Uh, I found a story of a man in Australia who was arrested and charged with stealing sheep. He claimed emphatically that the one, the one in question was his own and that had been missing for many days. When the, court, when the case went to court, the judge was puzzled and not knowing how to decide the matter, he asked the sheep be brought into the courtroom. Then he ordered the plaintiff to step outside and call the animal. The sheep made no response except to raise its head and look frightened. The judge then instructed the defendant to go to the courtyard and call the sheep. When the accused man began to make his distinctive call, the sheep immediately bounded towards the door. It was obvious that he recognized the familiar familiar voice of his master. And that's how Jesus leads his people. He doesn't drive them from behind. He leads them from the front. He goes before them and he calls them and they hear his voice and they follow. He leads with his voice. He leads with his example and his sheep follow him. Uh, I've seen this play out um, in family sometimes, like when our small group would gather together and all the kids were downstairs and all the adults were upstairs. um, Every parent immediately could tell which kid that was crying or yelling or upset. Every parent knew exactly which, uh, the the parent of that child always knew which one was theirs. 
I think to everybody else, the cries may have sounded the same, but you knew which cry was your child. Why? Because you'd spent so much time with them. You knew the distinctive cry of your child. And that's true. Jesus knows our distinctive cry, but also his sheep know his voice. It worked the other way too, that if parents yelled down the stairs, the child knew which child was being addressed. They knew the voice of their parent. And that comes from proximity and trust and repetition. And the same is true with the sheep. The sheep know their shepherd. Their shepherd knows them. And he leads them. And that's how Jesus leads his people. And Jesus sets this up as in contrast with the stranger who is the Jewish leaders. The blind man is, is not responding to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are calling him to deny what has happened to him. And he's resisting because he's one of Jesus' sheep. He's heard Jesus' voice. And now he's following Jesus, defending Jesus, walking with Jesus, going to worship Jesus. And the voices of the Pharisees no longer bear any resemblance to him. He will not follow them anymore because he is one of Jesus' sheep. The sheep hear and they follow Jesus. So a few applications of this point. One is that we must always proclaim the gospel. The voice of Jesus and nothing else will draw people from darkness to light. Nothing but the voice of Jesus in the gospel will bring people to faith in Jesus. His voice draws the sheep, not us, not our voice. Only to the extent that our voice resembles the voice of the Savior will people come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's his voice that draws people out. He calls them out. He doesn't drive them out. He calls them out. And so we regularly, we preach on the warnings of sin and the danger of hell, but ultimately it's the beauty of the shepherd it's the voice of the shepherd that draws people out of sin and darkness and condemnation into the joy of being cared for by this shepherd. May we always proclaim the gospel clearly. Parents, an application for you. Our children are like little lambs. If you can imagine in the flock that the little lambs are born and they may not know the voice of the shepherd quite yet. And so they, in a sense, sort of tag along with their parents. But at some point, that lamb, by the example of their, of their parent sheep, so to speak, learn that that's the one we follow. That's the voice we listen to. That's the one we follow. And so we as parents need to model well for our children what it means to follow the voice of our shepherd every day and to teach our children to not just follow us, but to actually recognize the voice of the shepherd for themselves. And that's what we pray for as parents. So let us model well as our children follow us, what it means to follow the voice of the shepherd and may they learn in that what the voice of the shepherd is like. If you are a Christian, it is because Jesus is a qualified savior and because you heard his call and you followed. You're a Christian because Jesus came and was the qualified one to issue the call and he called you out and you responded to his call. If you're a Christian, it's not because of your works. It's because you heard the call and you followed. And if you are not a Christian, then it is because either you have not heard the call yet or you haven't recognized his voice yet. And in either case, you're probably following the call of a robber. We all put our hope in something. We all follow something. We all trust in something. And there's one shepherd. There's one good shepherd and there are many robbers. So I would just ask you to consider right now, in light of eternity, in light of the care of your soul, in light of, 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 of this message, are you following a false shepherd? Are you following a robber or a thief? 
Are you listening to his call and not the call of Jesus? So something for us to think about. There's only one good shepherd. Secondly, the good shepherd guards his sheep. He gathers his sheep by his voice and he guards his sheep. Verses 10, 7 through 10. And we see in verses 7 through 9 that he is the safe entrance into the flock. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What Middle Eastern shepherds would do and still do is at night, um, after they're done grazing, they would find this enclosure. Sometimes there were ones that were already built. Um, these sort of rock walls, so to speak. And there would be one entrance and you would lead your sheep into there. And then the sheep, the, the, the shepherd himself would sleep in the doorway overnight. And in a sense, the, the, the shepherd himself would be the door. The, the sheep would be safe. They would be protected. They would be clearly uh, apart from um, predators. And the shepherd himself would be the go-between between the predators on the outside and the safety inside. He himself would be the way into safety. And, uh, and that's really what Jesus is saying here, that no sheep will fall out of his flock because Jesus is there. So, and that's really, in the sense, Jesus right now is interceding before the Father in heaven right now. And in a sense, Jesus is still laying at the door, securing our souls protecting us from anyone that would want to come steal us from his flock. The shepherd is still laying in the door. He is interceding even right now to protect his sheep. So no sheep can wander out. No predators can wander in without the shepherd himself dealing with them. And so Jesus is the protector. He's the one that gives enclosure to them. He is the only way into the flock of God. He's the only way in. And so Jesus is an exclusive savior. The people of God must enter through Jesus. He is the safe entrance. Unlike the thieves and robbers, they do not protect and they actually become predatory. But Jesus himself lays his life between the flock and the world. And he provides abundant life. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. A thief here, often we read this verse kind of in isolation out of its context and think of Satan. And it's certainly true of Satan, that Satan is like this. But the thief that's being spoken of here is those who are spiritual leaders who are not leading the way God wants. He's talking of the Pharisees here. And he's saying that they are marked by stealing, killing, and destroying the sheep. And Jesus is a different kind of shepherd. He's a different kind of leader. He's a different kind of authority. He came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So here just is a, a few applications for us. There's much more that we could say here about Jesus being the door of the sheep. But it's about access and it's about protection. And he talks about the sheep coming out and finding pasture, meaning that Jesus will lead them to the abundant life. So a few applications. The local church is the place where the shepherding of Jesus is experienced. That's what the church is. On this rock, I will build my church. The church is meant to be that safe pasture where our, our care, the care of Jesus, our shepherd, is most experienced and shared. We must always, as Redeeming Grace Church, always, always, always be a place of unity, grace, and care and protection. Not a safe place for sin or robbers or thieves or those that wish to do harm. A, a, not a safe place for that. We fight sin relentlessly, 
but always a safe place for, repent, for repenting sheep, for injured sheep. We must always be careful to keep that distinction there. Not a safe place for sin, but a, a safe place for sinners who are repenting and needing healing. If you are a Christian, it is because Jesus has become your door. And he is what secures and sustains your eternal life even now. Not just at the moment of the crucifixion and resurrection, but even now as he intercedes at the right hand of God, he is securing and sustaining your eternal life this very moment. If you are not a Christian, then you are under the oversight of the murderous thief. Those are the options. To be under the murderous thief of sin or under the care and prosperity and protection of the Savior. The good shepherd, lastly, in verses 11 through 18, the good shepherd gives himself for the sheep. Look at this passage. It's beautiful. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches him and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is pleased to take on the title of good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He says it two times, verses 11 and 14. I am the good shepherd. The word good there is the Greek word kalos, which means beautiful. He's the beautiful shepherd. He is, he is the outward sign. This is, this is how kalos is, is, uh, is defined as beautiful, an outward sign of the inward good. He is the noble shepherd, the honorable shepherd, the good shepherd, the worthy shepherd, and he will be seen to be so. The idea is that you experience the beauty and goodness of whatever thing is kalos. He is the good shepherd. He is the experientially beautiful, noble, honorable shepherd. He is the shepherd of all shepherds. He is the perfect shepherd. And five times he says that he lays down his life. He's not the kind of shepherd that's willing to lay down his life if needed. He's the kind of shepherd that actually decided to lay down his life for the sheep. It was determined that he would lay down his life for the sheep. In fact, that's what makes him a good shepherd is not just that he's willing if needed, but he has laid down his life for the sheep. He mentions it in verse 11 and 15 and 17 and twice in verse 18. This is a key part of the reason he is the beautiful shepherd is because he's not just willing, but he does lay down his life for the sheep. And this is a picture of Jesus' death on the cross. He is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Not as just an example for the sheep, but, at, but actually for the sheep, which, me, which means there's a transaction happening. And this is, this is what we call substitutionary atonement, that there is, there is a sin debt that needs to be paid for. And Jesus himself will pay that sin debt in our place as a substitution. He is dying in the place of the sheep. The sheep don't deserve this kind of shepherding, but he's going to offer it freely and he's going to bear their burden. He's going to die for the sheep. Don Carson, who is a New Testament scholar, he points, he says, Jesus points beyond the metaphorical world to himself. 
He does not merely risk his life. He actually lays it down in line with the Father's will. Far from being an accident, Jesus' death is precisely what qualifies him to be the good shepherd. It is what makes him the unique shepherd of all shepherds. And he dies for the sheep. A demonstration of his love and care that he lays down his life for the sheep. The death of Jesus was intentional and personal. It was substitutionary and redemptive. Jesus is laying down his life to save the sheep. Carson also says the last clause of the verse should probably be read as a purpose clause. Jesus lays down his life in order that he may take it up again. Jesus' sacrificial death was not just an end to itself, just to die, to show that he loves the sheep, but also to lead to a resurrection. This death was with the resurrection in view. He died in order to rise and by this rising to proceed toward his ultimate glorification and the pouring out of the spirit so that others too may live. He laid down his life that he may rise again and take his sheep with him. He's unlike the hired hand who runs away at the first sign of danger. Jesus went and conquered all danger. The thing that was the biggest threat to the sheep was their sin. And Jesus took it head on, absorbed it entirely in himself, bore the wrath of God against that sin, conquered it, left it in the grave, rose again, and now his sheep are free, free to follow, free to know God. He takes it up again, verses 17 and 18. And in doing so, he creates one new flock. He's not just a savior of individual sheep, but also of a flock of sheep. It's a corporate salvation. It's applied individually, but it's also experienced and expressed corporately. God's new covenant people. There's a new flock, which means the old flock is now passing away. There is a new flock, not by heritage, not by law, not by works, but by those who call, who respond to the call of Jesus. Jesus is gathering one new flock, the church. One theologian wrote it, uh, put it this way. One may view the entire gospel as an unfolding presentation of the movement from old definitions of discipleship and shepherding and belonging to the people of God to a new understanding of these categories. Judaism is viewed as a system which has been transcended by the appearance of the Messiah which left Judaism as an empty shell and exposed its feudal adherence to customs now obsolete as well as its own founding fathers, Abraham and Moses. Joseph, Jesus denied to them by, by claiming that they pointed towards himself and were in preparation for him. Jesus is calling his sheep out of the Jewish flock, presuming that those who stay in that place are not part of his flock. The Judaism is now obsolete. But Jesus will also call sheep from the world. He says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, meaning non-Jewish sheep. He's not just a shepherd for the people of Israel. He is going to be a shepherd for any who would respond to his name, which is why we go into all the world and preach the good news. Because there are sheep in every tribe, tongue, and nation that will respond to his call and will be part of this new flock. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful image that Jesus is painting here, that he is sheep of all kinds of he has a flock of all kinds of people verse 14 he says that he knows his sheep and his sheep know him and that's a reference to covenantal relationship even marital intimacy this knowing this intimate knowing of two people in covenant relationship and that's what jesus is saying is i will have a covenant relationship with my sheep they will know me and i will know them like a husband and wife know each other so well 
so also I will enter into covenant relationship with my people and I will know them and they will know me. They will draw near to me and I will draw near to them. So far from the death of the shepherd making the sheep vulnerable, the death of the sheep shepherd is what makes them eternally safe. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Those who hear and follow are the ones who will receive the benefits of his death. So some application, the gospel is a message to be heard and obeyed. The gospel is about access and belonging through the work of the shepherd, not the work of the sheep. None of us are worthy to be in this flock. And luckily, the only qualification for getting in this flock is to hear and follow, to respond to the voice of the shepherd. We have an obligation to follow, but it is the shepherd alone who leads and who unites and who cares and who heals and who protects the sheep. We must always be gospel-centered as a church, Christ-centered, word-centered, shepherd-centered in all that we do. And Christ appoints under-shepherds, elders and pastors. They need to look like the chief shepherd, not like the thieves and robbers, the hired hands or the wolves. They're not to, they don't necessarily need to be perfect in every way like Jesus, but they need to be genuinely like him. That when he speaks, people hear the voice of Jesus. And when they see him leading, it looks like the leadership of Jesus. So men, if you aspire to be an elder, and I think you should, your skills are really of very little value. Your resemblance to the shepherd is what means everything. No matter how skilled or charismatic you may be, no matter how winsome or influential you may be, it's all worthless if you don't resemble the shepherd. And this goes for parents as well. This is what appropriate spiritual authority looks like. If you are a Christian, it is because Christ has laid down his life for you and took it up again. You are now part of one flock under him, the good shepherd, and so we can live in peace. If you are not a Christian, then you're probably being overseen by a hired hand. And in the last day, you'll be abandoned. Come to the shepherd. Come to the true shepherd who's laid down his life to set you free and bring you to himself. So we learned today that salvation is all of Jesus. The shepherd has done all the work. And Jesus is calling his sheep and the true sheep will hear and follow. Don't call yourself a Christian if you refuse to follow the shepherd. It's dangerous and it's confusing. Hear his voice and follow. Those who respond will be saved and will be gathered. The flock, the church, is where this safety and security is experienced together. That's where the eye of the shepherd is. That's where his presence is most keenly felt. One commentator says, he doesn't bring out all of them. Many would rather stay in the fold of religion. He only brings out those who are his own. Before Jesus even calls them, they belong to him. God gave sheep to his son. Jesus approaches the pen of religion and speaks the truth. Those given to him by the Father before the foundation of the world hear him calling and they come to him. They don't become his sheep because they follow. They follow him because they are his sheep. The shepherd, not the sheep, takes the initiative. Their response is simple. They hear and they follow. He goes on to say, if Jesus is the good shepherd, then what you need to do is simple. Follow Jesus. Don't look elsewhere. Don't wander off. Recognize that in him we have everything we would ever need. 
When we're tired, he brings us to rest in green pastures. And when we're thirsty, he guides us to the refreshing spring. When we're uncertain, he leads us on the path of righteousness. When we're afraid, he comforts us in his presence. Follow the good shepherd. As you follow him, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And on his timetable, he will lead you to his house where you will dwell with him forever. I love Charles Spurgeon. His sermon on this passage, would, it would have been great to just read that to you. It's so much better <laughs> than this sermon. But I want to share this note from his message. So bear with me here because this is just so great. I want you to ponder this for just a moment. He says, I want you to notice that according to the text, the Lord Jesus Christ rejoices in this. He says, I am the good shepherd. He does not confess that fact as if he were ashamed of it. But he repeats it in this chapter so many times that it almost reads like the refrain of a song, I am the good shepherd. And he evidently rejoices in it. He rolls it under his tongue like a sweet morsel, evidently to his heart's content. He does not say, I am the son of God, I am the son of man, I am the redeemer. But he does say, and he congratulates himself upon it, that I am the good shepherd. This should encourage you and me to get a full hold of the word. If Jesus is pleased to be my shepherd, let me be equally pleased to be his sheep. And let me avail myself of all the privileges that are wrapped up in his being my shepherd and in, be, in my being his sheep. I see that it will not worry him. I see that it will not worry for him. I'm sorry, I misread that. I see that it does not worry him for me to be his sheep. I see that my needs cause him no problem. I see that he will not be going out of his way to attend to my weakness and trouble. He delights to dwell on the fact I am the good shepherd. He invites me, as it were, to come and bring my wants and my woes to him and then to look up to him and be fed by him. Therefore, I will do it. Does it not make you feel truly happy to hear your own Lord say to himself and say it to you out of this precious book, I am your good shepherd? Do you not reply, indeed, you are my good shepherd? Indeed, you are my good shepherd. My heart lays emphasis upon the word good and says of thee, there is none good but one. You alone are the good one. You alone are the shepherd of the sheep. Isn't that sweet? Jesus is not ashamed to call you his sheep. And dealing with you and caring for you is not out of his way. It's not a hassle for him. He delights in being your shepherd, delight in being his sheep. In a sense, because of what Christ has done for us, we could read Psalm 23 this way. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. And Jesus leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for Jesus' namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for Jesus is with me. Jesus' rod and Jesus' staff, they comfort me. Jesus prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And Jesus anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely the goodness and mercy of Jesus shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord Jesus forever. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so encouraged by these sweet words that you have come.
to be a different kind of leader, to be a different kind of shepherd. Lord, all we know is sinful versions of leadership. All we've experienced is imperfect shepherding. And Lord, we thank you that you are one who notices and has come to deal with that which is unjust and to be that which heals, to offer forgiveness and restoration. God, we thank you that you are a shepherd who calls the sheep and goes before, that you know our name, that you are the way, that you are the door, that you lay down your life for the sheep. And Lord, I pray that that would just be so stunningly beautiful that you would draw people to yourself. If we're Christians, Lord, that maybe it would just be all that more brighter to us, more brilliant to us, that you are that kind of shepherd for us. And Lord, if there's someone who is not yet trusted in Jesus or this is the first time they've heard that you are this kind of Savior, Lord, I pray that everything else that they might be leaning into, trusting in, would fade in comparison, would look like a thief and a robber compared to this shepherd. Lord, draw people to yourself. May they hear your voice, repent of sin, follow you, and enjoy all that you, uh, all that you are for them and, and through faith in, in you. So Lord, I pray that right now you would be increasing your flock through this message, through this passage, through your gospel today. In Jesus' name, amen. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin I left to Crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and build this heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save, and my lips shall still repeat. Oh, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin that left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, 
praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Okay, so we want to transition to a, a Q&A time here, and so, and then, uh, and then a testimony. So, sure. this is uh, this is this is Terry Blacka. Hello. So, hello, internet. Yeah, yeah. So, do you have any questions? Um, I got a couple here. Uh, they're kind of more broad, general questions. Um, the first one is, I think I understand this, but his connotation about himself going through here first of all he's saying that uh first you have to go through the door to become a shepherd and then he's the shepherd and then he's the door and then he's so it's kind of confusing going back and forth can you just kind of explain the timeline on that so to speak yeah well yeah he's speaking in metaphor and i think he's switching the metaphor on us a little bit so the door um the door that he's talking about here that the shepherd enters through the door meaning um Meaning that that's the, the sheep know that if if uh, if if anyone enters some other way, the shepherd will come the appropriate way, and so Jesus is coming in the appropriate way, and therefore the sheep recognize him. So, again, my understanding I didn't a lot of the commentaries I read didn't actually speak to that very much about who the gatekeeper is and that kind of stuff. So, just my in light of the context and the fact that they aren't recognizing him as the Messiah, I think he's talking about hey, I'm fulfilling the I meet the profile, I match, and so. Um, so that's, he's speaking of the door there in terms of like, who's qualified to speak to the sheep, but then talking about the door of the sheep later on, when he says, I am the door, he's speaking about access into the flock. So I think he's switching the metaphor, I guess, to answer your question there is that I enter through the door and then actually I myself become the door, you know, okay. for the sheep. So I Jesus sometimes does that to us is kind of mix the metaphors a little bit there, but. Then the other one I got here for you kind of plays off of that one, so to speak. Um, I've been asked a couple times on people who are just starting to read the Bible and things like that, why Jesus talked in parables and how if you're not really having someone to explain it to them or anything, how are you supposed to go through and read something like this and understand what's going and kind of follow without just getting discouraged and just sure. stop reading, supposed to almost. Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. Uh, especially since there's so much like Middle Eastern shepherding, agrarian um, imagery here, as well as lots of Old Testament imagery. So if you're a new Christian, you're opening up to John 10. What do I what do I make of this? Um, I think that for someone reading that to try to to glean what you can, and then obviously it helps to have it preached or explained to you. So someone discipling you, explaining those things is good. Um, 
But, um, but yeah, I think the, you know, try to just glean what you can and, and get the sense here, especially in light of chapter nine that he's talking about. This is a shepherd who's gentle and who cares for the sheep in contrast to these others. So, um, parables always have quite a bit of depth to them and can be kind of confusing. And actually that's part of why Jesus sometimes used parables was actually to confuse those who weren't rightly motivated and to, and to, uh, to bring clarity to those, but he regularly had to those that did want to follow him. So, so there's a spiritual dimension that's not totally easy to untangle. Um, but he does regularly bring his disciples to the side and explain things to them. So, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I would just encourage people to read the Bible with somebody and glean what you can. And a good godly Christian will help you at least pick up some of the pieces here. So that's all if I that, had. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Sounds I don't know that I answered that as well as I would like to, but um, is, uh, is there any questions out here? I don't think there was any posted online that I know of. I can check my phone real no, quick. No, there wasn't. Yeah. Nothing? All perfectly clear in every way. Yeah. I love this passage. It's such a sweet yet strong passage. And uh, so our, our, our shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So let's transition to a testimony. We've always concluded each of our times with a testimony. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up, how you came to faith in Christ. I know <laughs> I know that's a longer story, it but is, give I'll, us the... I can give you the truncated version Yeah, here, that'd so. be great. Um, I grew up in a small town in Osmond, Nebraska. Um, a family of five, mom, dad, older brother and sister. Um, I grew up going to church at a St. Mary's Catholic church. My mom was a very, very strict Catholic and my dad kind of followed along there. Um, so I grew up being a good Catholic boy, going and being the altar boy and helping out at church here and helping out at church there and helping out at church and church and church and church. And um, went to grade school at St. Mary's Catholic school. I mean, good school, good teachers and everything, but again, it's just always hit, 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 hard, works, works, works this, works that. Um, and when I was about 16 or 17, I suddenly got tired of church and I did everything I could to make it look like I was going to church and yet not going to church, which is really hard in a town of 800 people <laughs> when everybody knows everybody before you even get to the other side of town. Um, so I came up with elaborate schemes and stuff on how to do that. And then when I graduated, it became a lot easier because mom and dad are now 400 miles away. Well, I'm here in Rapid City. Pff, I can do what I want. So I kind of fell away from any kind of religion for quite a while until um, I met my lovely wife and um, she got me coming back to church because she asked me to play softball. So, hey, I'll go play softball. Yeah, all Softball I evangelism. Go, yeah, Great. I just got to go and hang out in a church for a bit, you know. Um, but no, I had some good guys pouring into me without me even realizing it um, and got me here and started getting me active at the church and stuff. And then in March of 2002, um, Dr. Wells from Criswell College came up here and he was, did a week-long presentation of the Gospels. And he started with all of them and ended with, he started with Acts and then went backwards. Acts, John, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Mark, Matthew. And yep. he ended on Matthew. Um, and 
going through on Friday when I came here, I remember sitting in the right here in this actually the room we're doing this in, and he was going through and about 10, 15 minutes into it, I just started sitting here thinking, you know, am I saved? Am I not saved? Um, and then thinking about how I had told uh, Pastor Saturn when I got married, oh yeah, I'm saved. I've got that in the bag. I got that all taken care of. Now I'm sitting here doubting this several years later after been married. Um, and that whole class just gone. It was about an hour, hour and a half usually on those classes he did. And I remember him coming up after the, the class thing. He asked me, just a hand on my shoulder, asking all of a sudden, are you, are you okay, Terry? Um, and I looked up and there was no one else in the room. <laughs> I don't even remember people leaving or anything. And the only thing I could think to say to him, I just looked him in the eye and said, how do you know if you're saved? And I don't think he meant this the way I took it because of where my brain was, but uh, what he said was, well, if you have to ask that question, you're not saved. And I don't think that's what he meant, but I think it was the words I needed at that time to wrestle through what I was wrestling through, because he could probably see it on my face what I was wrestling through. Um, and we just had a nice long discussion and stuff, and he pulled out. He had this little thing called Operation Timothy, this little evangelism pack, and he kind of worked through that. And um, I actually prayed and asked him for just kind of hang out with me here before I prayed and accepted Christ right then. And um, went to go home and on my way out I actually found out there was another couple still in the parking lot that had seen me and they'd actually been praying for me in the parking lot that whole time and that just was awesome that's amazing know, yeah. um, and then I went home and told my wife and I was just exuberantly excited so and that's how that happened so. yeah that's awesome what an amazing testimony of just people praying and just faithful discussion of the gospel yeah that's awesome thanks for sharing that uh so tell tell me about your wife and your family <laughs> your kids well i live in a perfect family <laughs> no actually I, um, <laughs> um well i'll start with my wife um the perfect part the perfect part yeah <laughs> she's the better half obviously um from i've had a lot of people come up and say she's very hard to get to know and stuff and um, I was trying to figure out a way to explain her for this and stuff, and I came up with a great analogy oh about boy. 10 minutes ago. Oh, boy. And to me, she's an ironclad teddy bear. She's very <laughs> okay. hard in stuff on the outside. She's hard to read if you don't know her, but once you get to know her, she is very soft. She's willing to do all sorts of stuff for you. She's very loving. She's very caring. It's just you have to read past whatever and get to know her first she's so um my kids are kids <laughs> um i've got uh, four here with me um jake's a uh, senior and then i got in connor's an eighth grader and Alyssa's a seventh yes i know Alyssa. this is seventh grader and brady's in fifth grade so um and then that's kind of a trick question because i at times i'll say i've got five because i do have a fifth one that's no longer with us and uh, we lost one to cancer in 07, so Kay. so I've got five, but yet I've got four with me, so, but, yeah, so. yeah, good, yeah, and Christy's awesome, I'm sure she 
<laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going. Well, and just yeah. as a husband, I'm like, oh, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Um, um, so tell me a little bit about what, what you do, how you serve, how you serve the Lord, where kind of he has you right now. Um, I primarily work at, I do um, reporting and database work for one of the credit unions here in town. Um, and then I uh, also do um, part-time work at Shields and stuff. Um, and how that's, I, I just prior to where I'm working currently full-time, I worked at the hospital and I did the same thing. I've done the same thing for the last 20 years. But it's just amazing how in IT, when you think out thought of being pulled away from everything, how just when God wants to put you in a conversation, you just put you in a conversation, and it happens without knowing. Like I remember in the hospital about three years ago, riding up to address an issue, and all of a sudden I had this lady look at me and just say, are, are you a pastor? And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> um, and then she just started crying, and, and I just remembered saying that, you know, I'm not pastor, but can I pray for you or something? So there's opportunities there just mm -hmm. even when you're so an IT bookworm just kind of behind the crowds and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, at Shields, I've had some very interesting conversations and get into discussions about what books I've read and stuff like that. And um, so, and where I'm at currently, I've had conversations with um, other employees there and, uh, and stuff about this and that and how do I interpret this. And um, that's kind of like, what was the other part of that question? <laughs> Oh, that was it, just what you do and how you serve the Lord. And yeah. <clears throat> well, and then prior to helping here with Redeeming Gaze, I was big into the youth group here at South Canyon, and I yeah. really had a heart for that. And yeah. um, My wife at the time would say I did too much for other people and not enough for the family. So yeah, there's a time to know when you need to say no and time to keep going and stuff. So. Yeah, that's good. Good. Well, thanks for sharing, and thanks for helping us out behind the scenes on the computers and everything I really appreciate appreciate you so appreciate thank you. you yep can I have that sheet of paper right there the benedictions on that sheet so thanks for joining us for our live stream this morning and if there is any way that we can pray for you go to redeeminggracechurch.info uh, and redeeminggrace.info and uh, fill out the contact us at the top and um let us know who you are, how we can, um, how we can serve you. We'd be happy to do that. Um, our benediction comes from Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. And here's what it says. It says, For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, and he will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I pray that you will come to that Savior and experience these good blessings from him. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.